Hey there, and welcome back to Silver on the Sage podcast. I'm Caitlin Lowe, your host, and this is episode 19 with Wally Wollinen. Wally started his Philmont experience in 2008 on Trek. In 2011, he was a Philmont Training Center group leader. In 2012, he again was a Philmont Training Center group leader. And in 2013, he came back as the group leader coordinator. And in 2014, he was the Philmont Training Center family program manager. Wally also worked fall of 2012 at PTC as the autumn staff coordinator, winter 2013 PTC staff, fall 2013 PTC autumn staff coordinator. And he also came back for Mm -hmm. LDS week. Uh, He volunteered on staff to help out one week. In 2016, he was a PTC participant. And in 2019, he represented Philmont at the World Scout Jamboree. So Wally was a big contributor to the Philmont Training Center for many summer seasons and uh, second seasons in fall and winter. In this episode, he talks uh, just kind of about the Philmont Training Center and how it is really interconnected with the rest of the ranch, although some of us think of it as across, you know, across the way, across the other side of the road. Wally talks about servant leadership and the fish philosophies, especially the philosophy of being there for people and just really that incredible customer service that Philmont instills in all of us. This episode also has some fun ghost stories towards the end and also just some really nostalgic moments reminiscing about volleyball on the Villa Lawn and Western Nights and the incredible camaraderie that the Philmont Training Center allows both participants and staff members to be a part of. So thank you so much, Wally, for your time. And as always, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy. How are you today? I'm wonderful. How about you? I'm doing really good. I'm really excited to chat with you today all about uh, PTC and just your experience. So let's just maybe start from the top about your backstory, um, how you ended up at the place we all call home, those mountains we all love, Philmont Scout Ranch. Sounds good. So it started out um, in 2008. That was my first time experience Philmont on a trek. And there was a scout in my scout troop growing up and um, he went to Philmont with his dad. They did a trek, came back, you know, showed us all the pictures, had slideshows and for a few years just talked about how amazing Philmont was. And I was thinking it can't be that great. You know, there's no way that, you know, all right, it's just a scout camp. You backpack for two weeks. That doesn't sound terribly fun. And you didn't shower <laughs> and like the pictures are, are pretty, but like it can't be as much fun as like regular scout camp so i just kind of brushed it off so i was a little bit late to the game to going to philmont and it was probably 2006 2007 aged out of my scout troops i was still helping out as an assistant scout leader then um, while in college and we were helping out with a winter district event and one of the fathers that was there he was also in the troop when i was there and he's like hey wally we're planning a backpacking trip to philmont and summer 2008 we have a couple spots open we would love for you to attend and i was like eh, you know i'll think about it. he's like no listen like i'm going my son's going mr so-and-so and his son's going so that's four people from our troop that you know you know good chance is you'll never have this many people that you know to go with you and give me the paperwork thought it over for a few days talked to my family talked to my boss at work also like hey if i do go with this you know they can get the time off and uh living in Pennsylvania at that time. And he actually, my boss actually went to college in Colorado and was like, yes, like I will give you 100% permission to go. And so I got time off. I was like, all right, I'm in. So filled the application, went and just fell in love with that pile of rocks. Yeah. And uh, so that was my brief, but yet long introduction to how I came to Philmont. Were you an advisor on that trek? Yes and no. So I was 20 years old when I went. I was 
older than your typical Boy Scout troop, but still a youth con- by venturing standpoints. And that was the interesting part about it because I was kind of like that gray area where if I wanted to participate in some activities, then yes, I was a youth where other times, you know, I'd be like, nope, I'm an advisor. And both like the other members of our crew kind of utilized me in those, in that both areas. Yeah. So um, sometimes I got to help or join advisors coffee. Other times the advisors are like, hey, the crew's being rowdy. Can you just stay back and make sure no one kills each other? I'm like, yep, not a problem. So <laughs> I never went on track, but I imagine that would be kind of a neat position, gray area to be in where you could kind of experience like the best of both worlds a little bit. So exactly. Yeah. yeah. You also grew up in scouting. Correct. Yes. I still remember being in the living room, probably doing whatever five, six year olds do, probably playing or watching TV. I don't remember. But my mom saying, Hey, you should join Cub Scouts. And I said, no, no idea what it was. And <laughs> lo and behold, she was right and made the right choice by signing me up because here I am now. I'm a, I'm a leader for my son's Cub Scout pack. So your first summer, you went on, so you went on track in 2008 and then you came mm-hmm. back um, on seasonal staff as a PTC group leader in 2011. And then you you hung out like P- PTC is where you stayed uh, for the tenure of your seasonal experience. Do you want to give us a little behind the scenes into the world of the Philmont Training Center and the the group leader kind of the role? Eventually you were a coordinator. Um, I'd love to share that with listeners because I think it's kind of an unknown mystery sometimes to some folks. Yes. Uh, so I'll just kind of walk through kind of the typical PTC week on my side. So I was on the family program side. And the way PTC operates is families would come out for some type of training, whether it's mom, dad, grandma, grandpa. They would sign up for some kind of week-long conference, and they would bring their family with them. And while you know, the one person's in conference, everyone else got to hang out and have fun and really enjoy Philmont. So yeah. we provided family program from, I think, four months might have been the youngest, all the way up to as old as you wanted to be and attend. So we had everything in the middle there. So each week we were assigned a different age group to work with. Sometimes we were in what we called our small fry center, which is for the, the little kids, all the way up to the adult program, which we call the Silverados. So it'd start out on Sunday afternoon, participants would arrive, and we'd have some staff helping out with check-in. And then after dinner, we would do our opening campfire. So it's kind of all hands on deck. Uh, we were on stage singing songs. Um, then we'd do brief introductions of the staff, not really by names, but just by like positions. Like, here's our group leaders. Here's our COPE staff. Here's our services staff who would help out with like cleaning the bathrooms, IT issues. And then kind of like how the week would go down. Um, when I was there, Andrea Watson was the director of the trans center. So she would give like a brief spiel, like, Hey, here's what to expect this week. Here's where the dining halls are. If you haven't found it, if you need any assistance, here's where to find that key staff. And then Monday morning was kind of when the fun really began. We would um, get our groups after breakfast. So we'd meet on the green sward by the villa and we would have um, yard signs. We'd stick in the dirt. And so that way parents knew like, oh, I have an eight-year-old. Oh, we're going to meet over here. So we'd do brief introductions, kind of get to know you games, kind of go over the lay of the land. And Mondays and Tuesdays, we kind of had all-day programming. So we would do different games, activities, um, half-day hikes, go to our pony ring, uh, shooting sports. Older kids would go to the COPE course. And we would do that until... About lunchtime, then parents would come pick up their kids again, drop the kids off again about one thirty time frame. So we had about an hour and a half lunch break, yeah. recharge our batteries, and here we go again. And then yeah, we'd hang out with the kids until about 4 o'clock. We did offer um, half-day hikes and some other stuff. So we had some staff that would uh, lead those hikes like Lover's Leap. We had a loop on Uraka. We did the T-Rex track. So just really short, family-friendly hikes. So pretty much all the kids, except for the little littles, would do some type of all-day hike. would eat a trail lunch somewhere. Then the older age groups would do an overnight. Uh, we did overnights, I know, at Abreu, the Stockade. Uh, so the groups would hike out all day. Management would drive the overnight gear because we're not, you know, those kids aren't. This is probably their first time, might be their first time actually hiking in the mountains. Yeah. So we'd always drop off the dinners, the breakfasts, um, their overnight gear. So that way they just have a day pack with them. They would spend the night at a backcountry camp, then hike back in and be back 
for lunchtime on Friday. Friday night was our closing campfire. So same thing, songs, skits. Um, it was more based on what the activities were that week. We would then do any awards that came up and then uh, a slideshow at the end from pictures that were taken over the week. And then Saturday morning, see you later. Gosh, it's a busy rotation. Um, and, you know, um, for those of us who work on the other side of the road or, or really in, in any depart- other department, we're mostly dealing with participants who are scouts and advisors. So you mm-hmm. guys have um, the unique impact of of working with youth and and spouses and and just that family unit. What like I just imagine now, you know, now that I'm a parent, I can imagine some of the just chaos and hilarious moments that I'm sure group leaders experience with these children. I mean, how because how old are the groups? Um, it it varies. They're broken down age groups. We the youngest ones, I believe, were like five and six year olds. Uh, so we try to keep them similar age group mm-hmm. brackets. Um, one of my favorites are probably the eight and nine year olds. They're just a good fun group because you could be super corny, super cheesy, and they think you are hilarious and the coolest person on the world. Um, a little bit younger than that, they don't get all your jokes a little bit older than that. Then they start being a little bit too cool to hang out, especially if you're full of really bad jokes, which I always was. (laughs) I just, yeah, I think it's really, it's a unique thing to, to work with kids of that age. Um, and, and like you said, cause some of them, this could be their first experience, uh, hiking or even backpacking. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like, what was it like to risk, ma- like risk management with, with young kids like that? Like, did the kids want to go back to their parents often or did it all go like really smoothly? Like were the kids prepared and excited to be there? For the most part, it went pretty smoothly. Um, I remember on a couple overnighters, we did get some homesick, so excuse me, homesick scouts or not scouts, but participants were working with them. Um, I remember one particular one, we were doing an overnight at the stockade. The one youth was just having a hard time and it took me and the other group leader, we just took turns. It probably took us over an hour before they were willing to come and join the group again. They were just kind of off in the corner crying. But then we found out like they were also like moving that summer. So they were moving, leaving all their friends. And it was just all the emotions came out at once. And we're like, oh boy, here, here we go. Yeah, because, you know, you have to wear many hats in that role. You have to really engage them. You have to be their caretaker for, you know, Mm -hmm. while while they're with you and not with their parents. Yeah, it was probably like good practice for parenthood, actually. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, kind of like how the appropriate way to pee in the woods. All these kids have never done that before, you know, and like, sure. all right, no, no spitting. Don't touch cactuses. What do we do if we see a snake? Yeah, there's just so much I think that goes into that role that people don't know that I think that's really cool. I would love to see, I don't know if Philmont does this, but I'd love to see statistics on youth participants at PTC who then come back and either do a trek and or work on seasonal staff. That would be neat. That really would be. Yeah. Um, I know of one story. I was put with um, what we call the Mustang group, which were 12 and 13-year-old girls, I believe. So great week. Had a blast. And then when I went to the tw- 2017 National Scout Jamboree, um, I was working the BMX bikes. I remember one morning at breakfast in the staff area, I looked down the table and there's this one girl that just looked familiar. And like, she would look at me too. And you could see, we kept on making like eye contact. Yeah. And finally I was like, did you ever go to film watch? She's like, I did. She's like, and then finally it clicked. I was like, oh, is your name so-and-so? She's like, yes. And she's like, are you Wally? I was like, yes, I am. And turns out it was one of the girls I had that week in 2011. She was on summit staff. So that was kind of neat to see there. And, you know, she was with all of her friends and they were about to skedats to their work area. Later that week, it turns out her dad was actually there working that jamboree also. And he came up to me. And, you know, I haven't seen him since 2011. So it took a while before he's like, hey, you know, how are you doing, Wally? I'm like, good. How are you, sir? You forgot totally who he was. Yeah. And then uh, he introduced himself. I'm like, oh, okay. I remember now. And then like, then the memory started to come back then. Well, then he got like teary eyed. He's like, I just want to thank you so much. Like that week at Philmont, like you don't know how much it changed our lives. You know, wow. ever since then, she's wanted to work at a adventure base and now she's here working at the summit. And I'm like, oh, holy smokes. So like, it's just yeah. neat to see how far stuff goes and you don't even realize it at the time. Yeah. 
Totally cool. That's good. I'm glad that he came up to you and took the time to let you know that. Um, and so PTC even has, uh, I think it's called, is it called small fry? I mean, you can bring like mm-hmm. a baby there, right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. So it is a full fledged. Um, I mean, I don't want to say like, it's more than childcare. Like you guys are engaging and making an impact in these, the lives of these youth. Um, but, mm-hmm. but it's also has, has that kind of almost like educational preschool childcare um, aspect to it, which I just think is phenomenal. Um, and it takes really, really, really patient people to do those things, patient and motivated people. So I'm really glad you guys, the PTC like staff exists. And, and I don't know the history of the training center and if it was always that way, if it was always really family focused. Um, but I'm, I'm grateful that it is today. Kind of staying on this, this topic of, of the, the training center and what you guys do. Uh, what about a perspective that you had that an outsider might not have had, like something that might surprise people that you had to do in your job? The, the fun answer would be chasing out dumpster bears, um, <laughs> especially in, I think 2014 was a really bad bear summer around the training center for whatever reason, uh, maybe the drought or whatever. Um, but they were all over the place in the evenings. Yeah. So me and my, the other management of PTC every night before we called it a night, we would just do the quick rounds, make sure everything was picked up. If there were any bears, shoot them out of dumpsters, like, hey, get out of here. Uh, I remember one, one night we were walking up to the assembly hall because the lights were still on. So there's three of us and we were just walking up, just chit chatting along and not on bear duty this time. And there's those pine trees that are right outside the assembly hall there. And we're walking underneath them because they're right in the middle of the PTC office and the assembly hall. And we spooked a black bear that was under those pine trees while we were under the pine trees. We were probably mere feet away before it let us know it was there. I don't know who is more scared, the bear or us, you know, but yeah. we both, all of us took off running in different directions. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's, you know, the fun answer. Um, the thing that I would say probably also surprises people is the amount of people that come through the train center. Like, especially during like our LDS weeks, which we used to have two of in the summer, just massive amounts of people who are there and they come and go They're They're only there for a week. They learn and they leave, but just even like who some of those people are, like you don't realize it. Like one time, I think this was 2011 or 2012. I ran into Rex Tillerson when he was the president of the BSA and, um, we were all done with our groups and there's a few of us and we saw them. So we moseyed over and did some brief introductions and, and, uh, I was in a small group with, um, Rex and he was just kind of going around. Oh, you know, what's your name? Where are you from? And he got to me and I was like, Oh, and, you know, it's Wally. And I went to, I go to slippery rock university and here he is the CEO of Exxon mobile in multimillionaire goes, what? Like the slippery rock university. I'm like, yeah. And turns out at his alumni in Texas, they would at the football games always play the slippery rock football scores. And he <laughs> said, it's always been on his bucket list to meet someone who went there. Here he is impressed with me. I'm like, Oh, I don't, ta-da! you know, <laughs> I, I don't have any tricks, but just kind of like the, you meet people like that, that you might not meet elsewhere. And like another story I remember is we had a group, I think it was in the off season. They were at train center for a conference, wanted to climb the tooth. So we said, all right, no problem. So we got permission and I was leading the hike. And we were walking and I was talking to one of the gentlemen who'd been there, you know, for multiple days and real found out he was the mayor of Las Vegas. And here I am climbing the tooth with the mayor of Las Vegas. And holy smokes. Like, yeah, no big deal. <laughs> yeah. To me, it was kind of a big deal, but he was just out there to have fun and learn. And then also I would say like, once you get into more of the management role at the train center, just how interconnected you have to be with the other departments of the ranch. So we had to work on like bus schedules with logistics on pickup, drop off locations, how many to expect, dining hall on picking up trail lunches, uh, dietary restrictions for the week, um, working with ranger leadership uh, for the older kids. They have the option to go on a small trek during the week, working with them, uh, I camping, different backcountry camps and hoping the I camp gets there before your participants get there um, to let them know like what days and how many kids to expect, especially at like a bray or someplace for, for the root beer. Like, Hey, just so you know, we have a bunch of kids coming. They're going to take over your cantina on this date. So it's just, uh, it's a amazing how interdepartmental it is across the ranch. I was fascinated by that when I was looking over some of your notes, 
And even when you sent in your awesome iCamp for the iCamp episode here on the podcast, just how much, how, how interconnected you are with the rest of the ranch. Because a lot of the times we, you know, people like to say like, oh, across the road. Um, but really, I mean, you were very intertwined with what's happening on the other side of the road, on, on all sides of, of the road of the ranch. And um, that's awesome. I think that's really cool. Do you want to talk about any Philmont Training Center traditions or um, fun legacies that you guys partake in? Um, for me, one was in the summer of 2014, someone on staff brought or bought a small volleyball net. And I think it was every Thursday night, they would just set it up on the, the greensward on the Villa Lawn. Yeah. And the staff for just hours would just go out and play volleyball. And it was just it was just a fun, relaxing social event. It probably only lasted that one summer, but it was something you can count on. You know, like, hey, every yeah. Thursday night, you need a break, just go check out, go play volleyball. We didn't keep score. You could go in for five minutes. You could play for hours. You could sit on the sidelines and just talk. You know, it was just something really fun that we did. Um, but the thing that probably goes year after year, I would say, would be our Western night that we ha- would hold every Tuesday. You dress up, you'd be in your uniform or your um, Western garb, so a button-up shirt. If you had boots, a hat, jeans, you could put it on. And I always just really, to me, it was fun because you got to enjoy. You got to dress up a little bit. You know, you're you're in the Wild West, and you can actually feel that part a little bit. And we'd yeah. have a buffalo barbecue outside, to, which to me always was wonderful. I loved it. Uh, the food. And then afterwards, uh, we had the dance in the assembly hall. And even if we weren't supposed to work it, because we would take turns working it, you know, being the DJ, cleaning up, setting up, teaching the line dances, um, a bunch of us would always attend year after year just because it was fun. Yeah, almost like kind of a that like high school dance feel. feel. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um, it sounds like easily developed camaraderie and community. And I like how you said with the volleyball game that you could play for two minutes or the whole evening because as sort of an introvert and like, I'm not, I've never been great at sports. I'd be the one who'd shy away from that. But if I knew I didn't have to really commit, I'd probably definitely come out and and partake. So um, that's cool. So like you did spend all of your time over at the Philmont Training Center, even in in the off seasons when you worked Mm -hmm. um, autumn and winter, would you, do you wish you had worked in any other department or created a job at Philmont that doesn't exist at this time? So, yes and no. Like I loved my time at the training center. It was, it truly was a blast. And I remember thinking like summer of 2012, I was like, okay, this might be my last summer at the training center. Maybe I'll go kind of explore what other areas of the ranch there are. And my manager that summer, uh, Warren Oliver, I remember during my end of summer review, he's like, hey, just so you know, you're really being looked at for leadership. And I don't know if he was supposed to tell me that or not, but I'm like, oh, well, okay. Like that changes a lot then. Like maybe I should stay in PTC and just keep on climbing that ladder and check it out. See how far this can actually go, which I'm really glad I did because I definitely learned a lot by being in those roles and definitely learned a lot just about the ranch in general. The summer of 2014, I will say, is easily probably the best summer I've ever had. It was so much fun. We just had such a great staff, and we just all kind of clicked and formed together. So I'm glad I did not miss out on that awesome, awesome summer. Yeah. But I think if I would leave PTC, probably definitely backcountry, you know, from going on a trek, I definitely had my favorite spots, just even hiking on days off. Like, I loved the backcountry. I loved just everything about it. Um, you know, the scenery, the hiking, even the way some of the cabins smelled when you'd go inside. Um, sometimes a little, little funky, but also had that always that underlying like dust and like wood smoke smell. I'm like, oh, like to me, I'm like, I just love that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, out of the camps, Ring Place and Bobian, I just love the scenery at those places. I could just sit on those porches just for hours, just look around, do absolutely nothing and just be in heaven then also like french henry and maybe indian writings um because to me i love the program of those two camps and i'm a huge history nerd so like it just like spoke to me like oh there's such a rich deep deep history here and i think i I would would just dive on in on those ones dream job 
I mean, I think anyone would say living at Philmont full-time would be an absolute dream job in some capacity. But if I were to create two positions, there's two that come to mind, I would say. One would be kind of like a roving prospector, but you're not roving. Just have a hidden cabin somewhere in the woods. Like I've always liked mountain men's stories and stuff. Love the movie Jeremiah Johnson. So just like have like a trapper's cabin, like just somewhere off the beaten path, not really on any maps, like maybe like by the Baldy Reservoir or someplace like that where you're just there and you're, you're ready for a program in case like a lost crew like wanders and you're like, hey, you found me. And like <laughs> them be like, so totally confused, like, where am I? You know, and you're like, oh, well, welcome, you know, and you have your little spiel, do a quick little program, show them how to get where they're going. But then also like reward them like, hey, you found the hidden cabin. Here's, you know, some little Debbie cookies or something. Enjoy the rest of your trek. Off they go. And they would love it, but also be like super confused. Um, (laughs) And then also like, I think just being like the roaming, like explorer, like just to see like the nitty gritty details of the ranch, like hike around Baldy country, trying to find like other mine shafts, other cabins, um, any like. Because I know there's a cemetery up there. See if there's any other like little graves kind of tucked around. Um, Explore the Vale for those, the ghost towns that are up there. Go up into the Kings of the North Country. Like look for more like petroglyphs to report to the museum. Just kind of just an explorer and see all like the little secrets that are hidden out there. Oh, I like that idea a lot. I like both of those ideas a lot. Um, Because there are so many hidden gems, I imagine. And Mm -hmm. like you said, a lot of the time, you know, we stay on the path, the, the straight and narrow, like like we're we should, and that's um, good and all. But it'd be awesome to like intentionally explore again. You know, exactly. Um, so I like that. I like that a lot. Um, looking back on your tenure, was there anyone who really inspired you, or that you kind of um, idolized while you were out there and and growing, um, just like who you were as a person? You know, you make a lot of friends at Philmont, kind of, no matter what department you're in. Um, but I would say the one who kind of inspired me the most would have been um, Andrea Watson, who oversaw the training center. She just pushed me to my limits on developing those leadership skills. When I stayed for the the fall of 2012, I was fortunate enough that she hired me in the role as the fall staff coordinator over there. This is my first time in like a leadership, not overseeing kids. So like having a leadership, you know, being the leader for a group of kids is different than being a leader over coworkers. And um, she definitely helped me develop those skills, open for any questions, concerns I had. You know, I can go in her office anytime like, hey, I'm having this issue or I'm struggling with this. What should I do? And also she showed me and taught me what like true servant leadership is. Like, don't be afraid to get down and dirty. I remember like we had to clean the shower stalls one week and there was a lot of them. And she, like, we were kind of mumbling and groaning because, I mean, who wants to clean, you know, like 50 shower stalls? There were a lot. And some of them, they were not clean when you went yeah. in. Like, what happened? I just cleaned this yesterday. Um, <laughs> but she was right there with us some days. And she told us, like, hey, like, nice thing about cleaning this is it's immediate satisfaction. You can see your work when it's done. You don't have to worry about years from now what it's going to be like. Like, the toilet's clean. Boom. You did it. Yeah. Check that off your list. And so, like, that kind of stuck with me. But just even as a person, like she always inspired and like looked out for me. So I remember when I started toying with the notion of becoming a professional scouter and working as a district executive, um, I would talk to her about it a couple of times and she just kind of pulled me to the side and she's like, you see that gentleman over there? I was like, yeah. And she's like, okay, he's an area director. I think he has some openings. He's a really cool guy. You should sit with him tomorrow at breakfast. So just looking out for me on that personal level and uh, even at the professional scouting receptions we would have at the villa. So those were events we had a couple times each summer where seasonal staff could go talk to professional scout executives and just kind of get a feel for the land, kind of what it's about. If there were positions that would be kind of like an impromptu kind of interview, you know, swapping contact information. And I would always go to them um, because you got to set up and tear down, but also chocolate-covered strawberries, mini cheesecakes, little <laughs> sandwiches. I For most of my time there, I went just for the food. Yeah. Like, yeah, I will small talk to everyone, but I'm literally there for the food, you know? Near the end of 2014, I was there. And this is when I was becoming more serious about working for the Boy Scouts. Andrea pointed me to one. She's like, hey, 
that person over there, they have an opening. So went, talked to her for a while, and actually had an interview the next day. They offered me the position, and that's what took me to Iowa then for a few years. Yeah. So with, without her, you know, I think my life would be a little bit different because I would never have dreamt of even considering Iowa at that point. She had to just be one of the busiest people at Philmont, but she always made time for for people. So, mm-hmm. yeah, Andrea Watson, she is an awesome gal. I'm very grateful for her help. So when I was the family program director in 2014, like there was, you know, I was the the head honcho, if you will, like Andrea was the only one that was above me. So it was a lot of responsibility, huge staff to oversee and, you know, a lot of participants coming and going. And I remember it was the beginning of the summer. We were a couple of weeks in. I forget, I was struggling with something, had a really rough week. And I remember it was, I was talking to a friend. She was in the back country visiting on days off with some other people in PTC. It was just like, oh my gosh, you know, and, and I remember this kind of changed my perspective then. She's like, she's like, so what? Like you're at Philmont. Like who cares if you had a stressful day? I'm like, oh, you know what? You are right. Like I am at Philmont. What am I doing? Sweating over this small stuff. Like let's enjoy it. And so that definitely switched my mental state for the rest of the summer. Just that one bad week and it did not ruin the experience, which was good. And I would say like one of the big lessons I took from Philmont would be from the fish philosophy training that we all got. And that is just be there. You know, when you're talking to our participant or a customer now or, you know, a family member, like just focus, give them all of your attention for that moment. And just what's a world of difference that could, that could make, you know, even to this day, there are times I'm like, Nope, I got to stop. Like I'm going to put my phone down, put my, in my pocket, other room, like I'm, you have all my attention. It ties into two experiences. I would big ones that stand out from Philmont. And one happened during the autumn out there, PTC staff, they were all out doing backcountry tours. And I was the only one at the office and a, a thunderstorm was rolling in. And Outside the office in the parking lot, we have five flagpoles. And so I ran outside, take the flags down before the storm rolled in. And there was a gentleman sitting in a front row tent by East Tent City. And he came over and was helping me take down the flags. And we were just chit-chatting. Even though we were in a hurry, I was still giving him a lot of my attention. And we were just small talking and everything. And then he started telling about more of his personal story. You know, it started out like, oh, how's your week been? Oh, that's great. You know, just general questions. And Turns out this is him and his son's first time out at Philmont. Um, his son's an adult at this point. And he said at one point in their life, they had some really bad hardships and were actually homeless. And so like that really quickly grabbed my attention. Like, oh, oh okay. Like, let's forget about the flags. They can get wet for a moment when the rain comes. Um, like you're sharing something, you know, very heartfelt. And he said that it was always their dream to come to Philmont. So even though they were down their luck, did not have a house to live in, the money they set aside for Philmont, that was untouchable for them. They kept that money there so that way they can come to Philmont. And you know, son aged out of scouts, so they couldn't come on a trek and then health conditions with him. But they said they were so happy they could come to the training center and experience still Philmont together. And what an awesome week they had. And, you know, it was just fantastic and went above their expectations. And then the storm came. So we both parted ways real fast. And I don't even remember where this gentleman was from. Um, But it was just, it's one of those stories that has always stuck with me. Yeah. Because what if they had a bad experience? Like this was their hopes and dreams. And what if from staff, we were grumbly, you know, we were just not the face that they needed. And so I've taught different customer service things and different positions I've had since then. And I always bring up this story because we don't know our customers' backstory. We don't know what brought them to be right in front of us talking. Like for one, like if we found out this story because he wrote it on a review and had a negative experience and like, I don't want to be the one to crush someone's dreams like that. Yeah. So that wasn't really a negative experience, but it very easily could have been. To kind of tie in another heartfelt story. Yeah. It was winter 2013. 
um, there was a bulletin board when we first pulled into PTC. And you know, the New Mexico wind, rain, snow would always destroy the paper that we would have on there welcoming people. So every time there's a new conference coming in, uh, me and uh, my coworker, Kelsey Fowl, now Kelsey Crawford, we would go out and redo the bulletin board so it looked nice and not all tattered and everything. And we were there, you know, hanging up the new paper and everything. And this car pulls in and there were no participants, but people just drive through it. It happens, you know, and he rolls out his window and he says, Hey, can I drive around? Or I'm sorry. He said, can I spook around? And that's whatever reason that that's the only time I've ever heard spook around, like besides like Halloween. So that's yeah. just stuck in my mind. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, sure. No problem. You know, nothing's open. He's like, Oh, that's okay. I just want to, want to look. Oh, okay. Sounds good. So off he goes and we didn't think anything of it and we're about done. And he pulls back and rolls down his window and says, Hey, like, I'm all done. Thank you so much. We're like, oh, no problem. Hope hope you enjoyed you know, whatever you were doing. And then he started to get teary-eyed. And he said that him and his wife used to always come to the training center for years. And she passed away that past year. Mm-hmm. And he knew he could never come back again without her. So he was driving there just to say his goodbyes. And like, we're, and then he rolled up his window and off he went. So once again, like a total stranger, but a huge impact. And like, it kind of changed my perspective too. Like we're doing more than providing programming. There's a legacy also. Like there's so many memories that are tied to Philmont in general that we don't even know about. Yeah. So even though he wasn't a participant, like I'm glad that we said, yes, of course you could drive through instead of saying, no, we're closed. You got to turn back around. Yeah. I'm gl- yeah, totally. I And I've been... In those experiences when I've, where I've tried to go somewhere and I've been turned away, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, um, it's kind of leaves a sour taste in your mouth. And, um, Philmont does, like you were saying with Andrea, servant leadership and just Philmont has like next level customer service. And it's something that I've always taken away with me too. And, and not only in a professional sense, but just in, in any interaction with a neighbor or a friend or someone I'm meeting for the first time or, or a stranger like you like you said. So it's such a, it's such a strong connection to place. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and I think it's really cool when you get to be a part of those stories and people share those moments with you because you are there for them. So. Right. And like tying in with the customer service standpoint, like for the youth and the family program, I developed, and this might sound mean, but I judged how successful I was as a group leader based on if the kids were crying Friday night and Saturday morning because they didn't want to leave. So like, <laughs> that was like my, like, if I had at least one kid in the group get teary eyed, I'm like, okay, they had fun. This yeah. was a success. Yeah. So <laughs> I like that. That's a good gauge. Like they're, they don't want to go home. So they're, they're crying. <laughs> right. So like purposely making them sad without making them sad. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, there's so many people, there's so many connections and impacts and that's, kind of the whole purpose of this podcast is to share that. So thanks for those stories. Um, mm-hmm. Did you, uh, did you meet your spouse at Philmont? Um, I can't recall. I did not. Um, so I actually met her working for the Boy Scouts. We were cubicle neighbors. So we worked together for a little bit. Okay. Um, but yeah, so she never worked at Philmont. She, from the stories I've told, she said she thinks she would like to be a ranger. So that seems to fit her personality. But I did take her and the kids through Philmont one time, sadly, I wish it was more than that. And it was a couple of years ago, we went to Taos for a winter vacation. So currently live in Oklahoma city, not a lot of snow. We're like, you know what? We're going sled riding. Yeah. So Taos was like eight, 10 hours away from here. So not, not too bad of a drive. So we took a, a long weekend and on our way back home, we swung through Philmont, you know, it's winter time. So not a lot's open, bare bone staff. We went through the new museum, Good. Uh, got to hang out there, Yeah. Uh, drove through PTC, I gave kind of a short tour. Um, I think if it wasn't after a tiring vacation, we would have probably got out and walked a lot more. Plus, we still yeah. had a long drive ahead of us. But then also, flip side of that, I wasn't feeling the greatest because while in Taos, I got shingles on my face, ah. which if you've never had shingles, it's not fun. Yeah. Um, but so sometimes shingles actually scars. So I actually have a little scar right next to the side of my nose that's in the shape of an arrowhead. So I say that's from visiting Philmont and the Arrowhead Rock kind of left its mark. So I know a lot of people get Philmont tattoos. That's kind of like my impromptu tattoo I have. I love it. Yes. 
<laughs> oh man. Well, I'm glad that you recovered and you're doing better now. Um, and you also had an impact in the off season because you worked uh, autumn and winter seasons on PTC staff and as the coordinator. Were there any stories from that or anything you wanted to share in that regard? So I would say one, if you're still on seasonal staff, definitely work the fall and or winter. It's a totally different experience than you get in the summertime. Um, just scenery alone is breathtaking. Um, you know, with the leaves changing the cottonwoods at base camp all the way up to the aspens at Baldy Town, it is just phenomenal. And I remember my first fall in 2012, the elk would come down and bugle at night. Never saw them during the daytime, but around the PTC duplexes, you could just hear them bugling. And it was just amazing to fall asleep to that. Yeah. Uh, my roommate hated it because he said they kept them up. And I was like, no, open the window. Like, this is great. <laughs> um, but so like in the off season, like everyone kind of does, or the second season, I think is what it's preferred to be called. Right. Um, everyone kind of does everything. So at the train center side, we would have different crews come in, or not crews, but groups for conferences. And it was very tailored to kind of what they wanted. Sometimes it was just more of like a business retreat. So we would just prep the classrooms every morning, get snacks, coffee service, ice water, make sure it's vacuumed. It's good to go for when they come in after breakfast. So it leads to some early mornings if there's a lot of people there. Other times they want to come and just hang out. So we did a lot of backcountry tours, um, fly fishing, uh, small hikes. And one thing, and I, I will give credit to this to Andrea also on the backcountry tours, she said, there should be no awkward silence when you're driving the Suburban, which if you're doing a tour to Bobien, that's a two hour drive one way. Yeah. So you got to think of like what you're going to say there, what you're going to say back, and then what you're going to say when you're actually at Bobian. So right. we did a lot of, you know, research, you know, like this is the program here, this is the history here. Um, and personally for me, I would look for like, I had different clues like on the drive, like, okay, when I hit this rock, there's a good example of a ponderosa pine around the bend. So start talking about the pyrite ecosystem and, uh, or like, oh, we might see the logging truck on this road. Here's the story of the timber, you know, so it was keeping a lot of stories. Yeah, that's um, good. And yeah, Bobian was always a great one. And I always liked going up in the Baldy country because I, once again, a history nerd. So I loved going up there and just talking about the history of the mountain and everything that was there. And never working there, I would always tell ghost stories about when I would get to French. Since they already kind of got the mining spiel at Baldy Town, I didn't just want to repeat myself. So that was kind of the spin I did. So brief history on French Henry, also a mining community. But then also, it's supposedly very haunted. And yeah. I would just tell stories that I heard seasonal staff tell. So I would always, you know, like, I, whether you believe in ghosts or not, like, to me, the stories always captivated me. Like, I want to know, like, what, what gave you the heebie-jeebies? And, like, <laughs> it might sound super far-fetched, but I personally, I just enjoy, like, a good story. Yeah. So. Like you said, I've heard those seasonal stuff. Stories of the backcountry being haunted or spooky. Um, was there anything that you ever encountered or experienced or heard about PTC or the villa in that regard? Not directly tied with the villa or PTC in general. I mean, one time I was one of the first seasonal staff there for the summer. I was in a tent and there was coyotes running around outside. Oh, so like, that was frightening and not ghost related, but you would hear them howling behind you. And they would be yeah. quiet and you could hear them scurrying. And then you'd hear them howl in another field further away. And they would scurry back. I'm like, well, I don't know if they were playing tag. But I'm <laughs> like, there's me and one other person in our tents. And we were several tents apart. And like, we were both like, oh boy, this, hmm. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know how many there are, but it sounds like there's a lot. But that's yeah. that was more tangible and not um, ghost or supernaturally related. Um, and in the winter time, you know, we, would, we got trained on how to do villa tours. And I love the villa. I think it would be amazing to be a villa tour guide. Um, so you should learn so much more of the little details of, of the building and the history and the family there. Right. And I think with any big building, it's spooky at night, especially yeah. if you don't know where the light switches are. Yeah. And I know my phone didn't have a flashlight on at that time. So you're kind of like, okay, like I hope I don't break anything important as I'm trying to find this light switch or knock anything over or trip over anything, which yeah. luckily never did. 
Okay. Um, <laughs> but there is one story that comes to mind, and I would love to hear if anyone else has a relatable story to this. Because this is one that I kind of pieced together on my own just from different stories I've heard. So it started, there's three parts. And so chapter one, uh, my mom drove with me out to Philmont when I was doing my winter stint. So we left day after Christmas in 2012 to drive out um, for, to Philmont for the winter. And she stayed for a couple of days. And she stayed in one of the villa guest houses, which are next to the villa, kind of by the gazebo. I, if you've been over to PDC, you have walked past them. They got balconies on them. There's four of them, two on the bottom, two on the second story. Oh, yes. Yes. I can picture and, that. And kind of like we're not too far from where the, the fountains and the flowers are. Yeah. Um, so she stayed in one of the bottom rooms. But I remember one morning, you know, at breakfast, she's like, hey, like this is after she'd only been there like a night or two. She's like, I had a weird dream last night. So I dreamt I was laying in bed, but there was a boy kind of standing in the hallway. So how those rooms are set up, let me backtrack a little bit, is there's kind of like the main room has two beds and then a hallway and then a bathroom. Okay. And that's so they're, they're small, they're older rooms. But she said she dreamt that there was a boy in that hallway just kind of watching her sleep. And huh. she said like he kind of had face paint on, but she couldn't tell. And, you know, like, you know, dreams kind of fade. Right. And um, I'm like, okay, you know, that's weird. And she's like, so she's like, so for tonight, like, I'm gonna make sure I go to the bathroom before I crawl into bed, because I don't want to get up and go down the spooky hallway now at night. Yeah, <laughs> you know? and I don't like, blame okay, it. you know, and we yeah. just joked and that, that was the end of it. Yeah. Um. So that's end of chapter one, just okay. weird dream. Yeah. Chapter two, spring 2014. Okay. Doing a backcountry tour. And okay. so did the Baldy country and we're at French and we were standing by the, um, the Creek there, you know, kind of down in front of the cabin. And I'm telling the ghost stories, you know, I'm laying on thick. Um, cause I'm, at this point I'm pretty well practiced. So I kind of know, and the audience, they were, they were gobbling it up. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, um, the one participant's like, Oh, okay. Like, do you believe in ghosts? And I was like, well, no, not, not really. And there was a full, a former full-time staff member from Philmont standing behind me. And he's like, well, I have a story. I was like, oh, okay. You know, and I was thinking like Uraka, French, James related, you know, the typical haunted yeah. areas. Yep. And uh, he said he had some fr uh, friends or family that were visiting and they were staying in the villa guest rooms. So that automatically caught my attention. Right. And I was like, oh, okay. Like I'm digging it. And uh, he said that they stayed like one or two nights and there was one lady and she's like, nope, like you need to put me in a different room. I'm not staying there anymore because she had um, also kind of those dreams where she said there was, oh, what was it? It was a, a youth or a boy who was kind of staying in the bathroom hallway and kept on waking her up. <laughs> and I was like, oh, so that's when I started connecting the dots. I'm like, okay, yeah. like, I did not tell anyone about my mom's weird dream because at that point it was just a weird dream. And I yeah. forgot all about it. And I'm like, okay, well, that's two stories that are different yet similar enough. Right. And I was like, oh, okay, you know, and um, fast forward one year later. So this would have been yeah, spring 2014. Uh, we redid the, the handicraft center, completely remodeled it. And some of the seasonal staff who traditionally would work in the handicraft lodge at PTC year after year came out to kind of help get their area set up, brainstorm what new stuff they could do, how they want it, you know, set up. And all three of those ladies stayed in the villa guest rooms, which went, at that point, didn't think anything of it. And then yep. one morning sitting with them at breakfast and two of them were rooming together. And the one said that, you know, she got up to go use the restroom. And the other one was like, oh yeah, when you did that, um, I kind of woke up, I was still kind of in that weird in between, like not awake, not asleep. And she said a boy ran out of the bathroom and tried climbing into bed with her. And it woke her up, like it startled her awake and there was no one there. Oh my God. And I was like, oh, oh okay, hold on, hold the phone. So that's yeah. three stories that no one knew anything about the previous stories that are all different yet very relatable. Yeah. So like, so between my mom and 
the handicraft ladies, that's about a two year span, year and a half. Okay. And the one from the full time staff, I don't know. It was sometime in between before 2010. He was just telling it in between. Oh, okay. Okay. It's over a multi year story. So I went and I talked to Nancy Klein then in the villa. I'm like, hey, this is going to be weird, but are there any ghost stories related to the villa? And she didn't know of any. She's never heard of anything besides it being a little bit spooky at night and being an old house. It makes no, it makes noises sometimes. Yeah. Um, so I told her mine and stuff and, you know, these three stories and, you know, we kind of came to the conclusion that if that is a spirit and not just some weird dreams that three people have had, it sounds like it was someone either like an early settler of that area or a child who passed away on the Santa Fe trail or even like a native from that area that might've passed away as a child. And since all three stories involved older like mother age ladies and there's no male presence in there like is this just a lost soul looking for his mom yeah so like that's kind of sad so like it is spooky but at the same time like oh i want to give this little ghost boy a hug and tell him it'll be okay (laughs) yeah so yeah that's and it's pretty phenomenal that you happen to be present to hear you know well of course your mom's story but then the other two individuals who were you know, otherwise just kind of strangers to you. Exactly. Um, So that's really cool. I kind of like, while you were telling that, I kind of like just wanted to like look over my shoulder. I was getting that like (laughs) ghost story feel, which like you said too, like people, people love a good ghost story, but um, I'm glad you, yeah, you kind of told Nancy and I'm, I'm, I'll be curious to hear if anybody reaches out to you after listening to the podcast, if anyone else has had an experience uh, similar to that. So very interesting. I I don't think I've ever encountered any supernatural things at Philmont aside from, you know, like you said, the spooky dark cabin or things going bump in the night. But right. sometimes sometimes I kind of wish I would. Like I'm kind of jealous, but uh it's it's fun to live vicariously through the stories. So thanks exactly. For, thanks for sharing that one. <laughs> Are there any things you want to talk about that you're excited for in your future or Philmont's future um, before we do some nominations or final thoughts? Uh, I think you know, one, like, I can't wait for my kids to get old enough to we can, I can go on trek with them. Hopefully they want to, um, and I don't have to drag them along. And yeah. also just how the ranch seems to be constantly growing. I'm so excited about that. So when I was on staff, like, that was one of my goals was to visit every staffed backcountry camp. Okay. And, which I did by the time I was done. But now there's more. Like, there's parts of the ranch now that I haven't seen. And I right. want to go visit them and just, just explore it again. Yeah. Maybe a PSA track is in your future or exactly yes. something of the like one of the fill breaks or volunteer vacation or, um, yes. yeah, I, I'm the same way. I need to get back. It's been a while since I've been there and, and it has definitely grown in, in beautiful and awesome ways. So mm-hmm. I hope it continues to do that. It all, it will always give us a reason to go back. Exactly. Um, yes. Do you want to, uh, nominate anyone to be on the show? Yeah. So there's several it's, it's. I know several people have said yeah. this. It's hard to narrow down your list. Right. Um, so I, I have a few. Okay. Um, the first three, are, I think, are all great storytellers and are always good for a smile and have a good perspective on stuff. Uh, first one would be Adam White. Um, I don't know if you remember him. He was the CD yes. of Zastro in 2013. Yeah. He, to me, I think he is hilarious and a wonderful, wonderful storyteller. Okay. Um, quick story about Adam. I remember every night, uh, my bed was by the light switch. So we get ready for bed and I would hit the light. I'm like, good night, Adam. And just being polite every night without fail. He'd be like, don't tell me what to do. And that's just how he said good (laughs) night. That's very Adam. (laughs) Exactly. Yep. Um, the second one would be Jess Byam, now Jess Friedman. She was a pony wrangler at PTC for a number of years, which there's only one pony wrangler at Philmont. And you know, so she had a very unique job perspective of kind of being ranch department yet PTC. Right. Um, and she was always really great with the kids and the animals. And then the other one would be uh, like Zach Crawford. I never worked directly with Zach, um, but we hung out a couple times. You know, like I worked closely with his wife, Kelsey, and he was always good for a, a laugh. And I always enjoyed his stories as well. I would think it would be interesting to hear 
someone who was on seasonal staff and then became a full-time staff member at Philmont. Okay. Kind of like what has changed? Like how does how do they compare? So like I know David O'Neill did that, Andrea Watson, Chris Sawyer, and a ton of other people, I'm sure. But those are the three that kind of come to mind on like yeah. I'm sure there's a big difference, but it would be neat just to kind of hear hear their story. Sure. Um, and then even like um like the Phil kids, the full timers who had kids out there that grew up on the ranch and then started working there when they were old enough. Um so I was thinking of like maybe like Rye Taylor or Maggie McCulloch or even like Ashton Jones. I know the three of them at, w- at one point all lived at the ranch and then came back to work seasonal staff. Definitely. Yeah. And then even like uh, like a cherry on top would be if you can get like Mark Anderson to talk. I think because he was always a good storyteller, always gave great advice. And I'm sure he knows a lot of those hidden gems at Philmont that are the beaten path. So he could kind of probably tell us some of the cool things he's found without giving exact locations. Right, right. Yeah. Those are great nominations. Thank you for putting some thought into that. Mm -hmm. Um, This has been so much fun. It really went really fast this hour here. Um, Do you want to wrap up with any final thoughts or share any like prized possessions, memorabilia in your home or just um, a final story? What, What would you like to close with? Sure. So I think... You know, anyone who's worked or even been to Philmont has some kind of New Mexico prize possession. Um, we do have the Philmont trail map hanging up on the wall. Um, that's always been a staple. Um, yep. When we moved to Oklahoma, you know, that was one of the first things I got to hang up on the wall. I'm like, all right, where, where should we put the map at? You know? And, yeah. Yeah. Um, so we have that hanging up. And, but like, even with the map, when I got my apartment in Iowa, you know, my like bachelor pad, I had a ton of maps hanging up. So map of the Santa Fe trail map of Colfax County. Like you would think New Mexico sponsored my first apartment in Iowa. (laughs) Um, but like one day item or an item that I have every day, I have a deer antler necklace that I made slash found at Philmont and actually found it during training week at the training center. Um, I was walking, uh, to a training class, which ironically was leave no trace and walked past one of the big apple trees. And in the fork of it was a little, maybe like inch and a half to two inch chunk of deer antler that was broken off, like the tip. So I like the point on it. I was like, oh, that's really cool. Because I love looking for deer antlers. Even after I learned about Leave No Trace, I said I'm grandfathered in because I collected antlers before I knew about Leave No Trace, which <laughs> I know that's not how it works. But um, <laughs> yeah. but I said like, okay, like, I'm an, I'm an overthinker. I was like, well, maybe this is part of like the leave no trace test. And they're watching through the window to see if anyone picks up this little tiny piece of antler. <laughs> I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to the training. If it's there tomorrow, then I'll, then it's meant to be. So I went to the training. It was all inside, not no hidden test to see how, if you are worthy or not of leave no trace <laughs> and uh, went back the next day, picked it up. It stayed in my foot locker. Then that fall, I, when I got home, drilled a little hole in it, put some wiring through it a leather cord through it and it hangs around my neck every day. So I'm actually wearing it right now. Um, I know if I'm doing like a presentation at work or something, I kind of like grab it through my shirts, kind of like my good luck charm. I'm like, okay, like I need, I need that good Philmont energy to kind of go through me right now. Make me, you know, the extrovert I need to be because I'm a natural introvert and Philmont broke that out of me. Yeah. And uh, so I just like got to tap into like some of that, that good universal energy. I'm like, all right, Take me back to the mountains. Let it flow through me. Let's go do this. Yeah, very cool. Like kind of like your personal totem. Exactly. Um, I like that a lot. That's awesome. This has been a really fun episode. I've learned a lot. I'm sure we could talk more. You spent so much time at the training center, and I know you gave back in so many ways, and I'm sure you will continue to, like we all do. Um, and I really hope your family makes it out to PTC when you know when the time's right. I'm. I can't wait to get out there with our kiddos either, especially with those new like crazy glamping tents they have and just exactly all sorts of really cool things I want to just go experience. So um, yeah, just thank you so much, Wally, for your time and all you've done at Philmont. And thank you so much for having me. <laughs> yeah. Take care, Wally. Right, take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.